Today, we're going to talk about something that is a little bit more difficult than it was last week and the week before. Last week, we, we saw Lazarus uh, when God seemed to be late. Like, God, where were you? The good news was that God actually did what Mary and Martha had hoped for. Lazarus got to live. God just seemed a little bit late. Today's message is simply not that much fun. For some of you, you've seen the sermon bumper video and you've just said, I wish this was over. Well, guess what? We have a bonus week. Next week, Pastor Tim's going to continue this great series. And he's going to talk to us about when God seems preoccupied. And then in July and August, we're going to talk about our summer series, Gifts of a Sacred Summer. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things that we kind of punt when it comes to summer. We kind of take vacation off of our relationship with God. And so we're going to talk about how do we bring back a sacred summer. Well, let me pray, and then we're going to talk about when God and my plans just don't seem to match up. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thanks for my, for my friends at Daybreak and for my friends here at Renfrew. God, we look forward to the chance in July to bring both of us together to build relationships. We thank you that you love kingdom work, and kingdom work always involves us involving lots of people in it. Help us never get stuck just in our own little worlds. Help us to see the world through your eyes. God, in the next few minutes, I'm going to bring a message that is not an easy message. It's not an easy message to deliver. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be the one that prompts, guides, and leads. That my words would not get tangled up in someone's minds and hearts. That they would hear your words, your words of comfort and peace and challenge. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. When we know that God could do something, we have that innate belief that he will do it, and then he doesn't. You know, I believe today is going to help us create a foundation that's going to help us understand maybe a little better, more about God, and the word that we all hate, dependence on God, during times when God seems that he's not cooperating with us. You know, God gave you that, that spot at the, the mall, the parking spot that you prayed for. It was really close. But God won't seem to take away those migraine headaches. Or maybe you've been praying for your marriage, or you've been praying for some ongoing pain. You've been praying for a job. Whatever it is, all of us have some category of that in our own lives. God, I believe that you can do this. I'm praying that you will do this. But God, you haven't done it. So what do we do when God seems uncooperative? What do you do when you really are a sincere follower of Jesus? You believe that God could answer your prayer and God doesn't. So today, I'm going to look with you at the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to study one specific story, 
And hopefully by the end, I'll bring out three different thoughts about prayer that I hope will minister to you. So if you're taking notes, here's the very first one. We need to recognize that that true prayer isn't about getting our own way, but it's often about surrendering our own will. It's not about getting God to do what we want him to do. It's often about surrendering our will so that God can do what he actually wants. Now, some of us might push back on this, but you need to remember, this is exactly how Jesus prayed when he was in the garden. Before going to the cross, Jesus said this, Father, if there's any other way, would you remove this cup from me? And then those famous words, nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. That's from Luke 22. Jesus also taught us to pray. He said, this is how you should pray. And he said this in Matthew chapter 6. We need to pray that thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So back to that point. True prayer isn't just about God doing what we want. It's often about surrendering our will to what God wants. The Apostle Paul actually had to discover this. If there's anyone in this world who deserved to have an answered prayer, I think it would be Paul. So the backstory of Paul, we might have forgotten this from Sunday school. He actually hated Christians. He killed Christians. He despised them. And then he had this miraculous conversion where his life was changed, and he went from from hating Christians to being one of the most effective Christians in the history of the world. Just for a perspective, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. Paul traveled on a ship for almost 20 years. He took the gospel to every part of the world that he could get into. This guy was so amazingly bold in his faith. He had visions. He raised the dead but he paid an incredible price for it. Paul was stoned for his faith. He was shipwrecked. He was snake-bitten. He was beaten with rods, and he was left for dead. When they would actually whip a person, they would whip them 39 times, not 40. Something scientific. If you whip them 40 times and they died from it, it would be considered murder. 39 was acceptable, 40 wasn't. Five different times, Paul was whipped 39 times on the back. He was put in prison over and over and over again. This guy endured more than you and I could imagine. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus, why did you leave him? Well, what was Paul's reward? You know, if I was like God, I would have said this. You've done all this. I'm going to make sure your senior years are way better than your former years because that's who I am, a good God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of those passages of Scripture that we don't really read often. It's not something we learned in Sunday school as a memory verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 
And hopefully you can resonate with this as, as we journey today. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Matt, you're picking all the best verses this sermon series. You know, the interesting piece was Satan brings something into this guy's life. God allowed it, but God not only allowed it, God used it. The interesting dynamic here was that Paul realized it was to keep him from being conceited. And so he has this thorn. Now, what is this thorn? We don't know exactly what this thorn is. Scholars have debated it for years. People have their guess. What's interesting is the Greek word translated as thorn can also mean stake. And whenever they would kill a person, they would run a stake through their body. And that's the word they would use. Whatever it was, it was agonizing. Paul said this, it's tormenting me. Most scholars would believe that Paul had some physical ailment. Some people might, said, might say it was his opposition because he was on the other side at one point. Some of them think it was maybe headaches or malaria or epilepsy. Or maybe Paul had a speech impediment. Some people would argue that it was actually bad eyesight that Paul had because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul said this, Notice I'm writing to you with really big letters. You can only imagine... Without glasses, back in that day, maybe he couldn't read and write. But it's interesting that Paul said this, this was given to me. God allowed it. It torments me, but God's allowing it to keep me from being conceited. Some of you today have that thorn in your life. There's some issue, there's some challenge some of you might say, my thorn is actually sitting right beside me. Don't point at them, don't look at them, don't breathe in their direction. That's between you and God. It might be a boss that's your challenge. Some of you might have a health challenge that you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you believe that God would take it away, but it's not gone. You're trying all sorts of different things. Maybe you're fighting depression. It could be a sleep issue. It could be that you're just praying that God would change some circumstance. God, give me reliable transportation so I can get back to church, so I can work. Whatever it is, you look at that thorn and you say, God, would you please change this? And God isn't changing it. Now remember, prayer isn't about getting our own way, but sometimes it's surrendering our will and saying, God, even though I wish you would really do this, you're not. And I'm going to trust you in the middle of the situation. Well, let's keep walking. The second thing that I think we want to point out about prayer is this. Prayer reminds us that we're not in control. And it keeps us close to the one who is. Prayer always reminds me I'm not in control. 
2 Corinthians 12, let's continue that story. Verse 8 says this, and it doesn't get any better. Three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. God, please, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, God, to take it away. Now, when, when Paul said this, I did this three times. This doesn't mean that he was like this. I prayed at breakfast time, and then I prayed at lunch, and then I prayed at dinner. Hey, God, what's up? When he says, I pleaded three times, these were significant seasons of intentional, focused, intercessory prayer. God, please save my parents' marriage. Hold it together. God, please take away this pain. God, I'm willing to work. I need a job. God, I'm trying to support my family. Whatever it is, you're begging, you're praying, you're pleading. You're just like Paul. God, please, please, I trust you. I'm seeking you. Please take this away. I'm only asking you to do what I've seen you do for others. God, I've seen you do this. Why won't you do it for me? If I'm God, I'm sure going like this. That's no problem. Paul, you're Paul. You've endured so much for me. God saying to Paul, I'm going to give you a raise. God, you're amazing. Of course you can do this. Think about it in your own life. God has already answered so many prayers that you could have a hard time counting. For Paul, he used Paul. And there were miracles upon miracles that Paul accomplished through God's help. Look back at the story, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Seriously? What does that even mean? What does that mean, my grace? Isn't grace what brings about forgiveness of sins? Yes, we're saved by grace. Grace forgives our sins. We need to understand, though, that grace is so much more than that. Grace is used 155 times in the New Testament. This word, it means undeserved favor. It means grace. I did a word study this week on it. Strong's Concordance says this, and I'm going to read it twice because it's huge. Grace is when God freely extends himself. When God leans in and reaches to us because God is disposed to bless and be near us. What is grace? It is when God freely extends himself, leaning and reaching to us. Why? Because he is disposed to bless and be near us. It's the leaning in of God. It's the, I'm here for you, Matt. It's the leaning and reaching in. Matt, I want to reveal myself to you. It's God leaning in to show us his presence. 
here's what happens in Matt's life. I tend to say this, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. If you'll do this, then I'll have what I want and what I need. And God looks at me and says, no, this is not what you need. God looks at each of us and says, I am what you need. I am enough. I am sufficient. My grace, my leaning in in this situation is what you need. I could do that, God says. I've done it before. I may do something similar down the road. But in this case, you're going to experience me in a way that you could not if I did for you what you wanted me to do. It's the leaning in. It's the reaching. It's that presence of God. It's something that's so hard to explain, you have to experience. It's God's grace when you look and go, how did I make it through this? I don't know. I've got this special grace from God. How in the world are you surviving what you're doing? I'm not even sure. It's just that I've got this special grace of God. It's the presence of God at the moment that's enough. God is looking at each of us today and saying, I love you. I'm here with you. I am wanting to extend my presence of blessing to you. I could do this, but in this particular case, I want you to experience me in a way that you've never experienced me before. Like Paul, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. I could do this. That's what's so difficult about this. We've seen God's mighty hand work. But I need you to trust because my grace is enough for you. You and I need to recognize that prayer is not just about getting our own way, but it's surrendering our will to God. What we have to know is that God doesn't exist to serve us. God is not here to serve us. We're here to serve him. We glorify him. Sometimes the Western version of Christianity kind of gets mixed up and we say this, if God doesn't do this for me, then I'm out. Prayer reminds us that we're not in control. And it keeps us close to the one who is. Pressing in season after season, God, I'm seeking you, I'm believing, I'm trusting you. Even if you don't do this, God, I continue to trust you. Here's the final one today. Prayer isn't just asking, it's also trusting. It's not just asking for what you want, but it's trusting that God actually knows what's best. I do want to say prayer is asking all day long. If you come before me and you say, Matt, I got a diagnosis this week. I've got cancer. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus and believe that cancer will go away. We believe that the, the name of Jesus is bigger and better than any other name. We believe that God heals. We believe that God provides. We believe that God does miracles. We ask, can we trust? We ask, just like James says, we have not because we do not ask. James says, so we're going to ask. We're going to believe for miracles. We're going to see miracles. 
But there's going to be times where God says no. In this case, no is not just asking, it's also trusting. Go back to Paul. That's what Paul ended up having to do. Here he is, years later. He's looking back on this thorn that he still has. And suddenly he has a different perspective on it. He says, the thing that tormented me, God actually is using it. He used it to keep me from being conceited. Then he says this in in verses 9 and 10, which are huge. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, my thorn, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And then watch this. For when I am weak, when I am hurting, when I feel hopeless, then God is strong. I delight in my insults. I delight in my hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Because when I'm weak, then God is strong. It's not the successes that bring you closer to God. It's those times when I can't do anything. All I have is God. And God helps me to know Him in an intimate way. God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. Because when I was weak... I experienced his power in a way that I couldn't have otherwise. I delight in insults. I delight in persecutions. What if you changed your perspective? What if you said, I hate those headaches? Instead of saying, I hate those headaches, I delight in those headaches. I delight in them because they teach me to trust in the presence of God in a way I couldn't otherwise. How do you make it through? I don't know. I do know it's the grace of God. I delight in my search for my job right now. You're going to have friends that look at you and say, you're weird. What you don't understand is that I've learned to depend on God as my provision in a way that I couldn't otherwise. He still continues to meet all my needs. I delight in this lonely sense that I have because someone I love is not here. How do you delight in that? Because Emmanuel, God with us, is what we need at this moment in our life. This is what I need. No, God is what you need. Paul's perspective changed over time. He's actually looking back and he's seeing that his perspective has changed. People say this, time heals all wounds. That sounds good. It's not quite true. Guess what? You know people 30 years later after the fact, they're still ticked. They're still angry. They're still bitter. Once again, don't point at them. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time with God's presence heals wounds. God's presence always brings healing. Over time, you could look back, and some of you, to be really honest, you're in a place right now and you hate it. 
I don't want to make light of it. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't hate it either. There are always things in our lives that we don't like. I wish God could change them. God's changed some things for me, and he hasn't changed other things. But what I do believe is that years from now, with the presence of God, I will look back and say, I see what you did, God. You kept me from being conceited. Or maybe you've built an intimacy between me and you that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I do know that no matter how bad this moment is, the goodness of God is even better over time. If God doesn't do exactly what he, you want him to do, that doesn't make God any less God. It actually makes him more God. We continue to ask. We continue to always believe for miracles. But we're not only going to ask, we're going to trust Because prayer isn't getting God to do what we want. Prayer is often surrendering our will to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want, God. But not my will, your will. So we're going to keep praying. And anytime there's something difficult that we don't understand, we're going to remember that prayer reminds us we're not in control. It keeps us close to the one that is. And so whatever that thorn is, because we all have a version of that thorn in our lives, my prayer is that years from now, you'll look back and go, God was at work. Because even when life doesn't feel good, our God still is good. He's always good. God can't be anything but good. We serve and worship a good God. Before I end, I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes more about grace. Because it was grace that changed Paul's life. You see, Paul thought he was right with God by following a bunch of rules. But he didn't realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of that law. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus was without sin. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sin. Paul didn't realize it. He thought it was all about performance. But it was all about Jesus. There's going to be a statement that comes up on your screen. It's really huge for us to understand about grace. God's grace fills the gap between our pain and his promises. Let me say that again. And hopefully it'll ring in your mind this week. God's grace fills the gap between our pain here on earth and God's eternal promises. It's by grace that you are saved. It's not by works. It's a gift from God. It was grace. It was grace that brought me to Jesus. There are those of you here that think grace isn't going to change your life. You look at your life and think, well, I'm not good enough for God. I'm not even sure God is there. Trust me, the grace of God changes your life. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains you. It's the same grace that strengthens you. 
It's the grace of God. It's leaning into the presence of God. You need to know God intimately. You may be in a real low place right now and you hate it. You may look back and say, you know what? That low place actually brought me into a deep relationship with God. I actually delight in that low place. I thank you, God, for that low place. I thank you that you allowed me to go through that because you brought me into a deeper relationship with you, God. The grace of God saves you. The grace of God sustains you. The grace of God strengthens you. Many of us today need to experience the grace of God. Now, before I'm done, here comes the challenge. The text line's going to come back up. God didn't put us all alone just to function alone. Some of you have that thorn that you actually need to declare and go, this thorn is tripping me up. And you need to know there's a group of people, Pastor Tim, myself, that are going to pray for you. And so in the next few minutes, I want to encourage you. Satan's lie is going to be, don't do it. But I want to challenge you at some point today. Shoot us a text with, that, with what your thorn is, and we're going to commit to pray for you. This is how God operates. He put us in community. Just like Jesus had disciples, just like Paul had a community around him, you need a community around you. And that's what we're about at Daybreak and Renfrew Church. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Carrie Job and Cody Carnes and Elevation Worship released a powerful song at the start of, of our COVID pandemic. I'm going to read words from it, and then I'm going to read from Scripture, and then I'll say amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you. Thousands of generations behind you. Your family and your children and their children and their children. May they always experience his presence. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, when you come and when you go, when you weep and when you rejoice. He is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.